You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. We're going to continue our series, uh, actually wrap it up today, on the armor of God. And to start off, I'm just going to quickly recap and some of the highlights that we've been talking about over the last five weeks. So one of the first things that we talked about when we introduced this idea of God's armor is the fact that we are in a battle, right? And it's not any sort of normal battle. It's not ordinary. It is a spiritual battle that Paul tells us that is against not flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers and authorities in the heavens. And because this is no ordinary battle, God gives us his armor for us to be able to stand firm in the midst of those fights. And we've seen along the way how these, there are six different elements to this armor, and they seem to be broken up into two sides. The, The first three, we saw that these are things that we should always have on us. And the second three are the things that we should be taking up as the the battle gets fierce. We talked about how we have this belt of truth that helps protect our most vulnerable places. We have this breastplate of righteousness which helps us guard our hearts. We have these shoes that give us the stability we need because of the gospel of peace. These are the three things that we need to have always, always on us. And then when the battle ensues and we are under attack, we are to take up this shield. The shield that we talked about that is more probably about God's faithfulness than our personal faith. And last week we we talked about the helmet of salvation, which for us is a way for us to know about God's love, to be sure of the God's love and it's on display for us in the midst of those battles. And this week, as we wrap up, we get to talk about the sword. This is the coolest part of this armor, isn't it? I mean, like, this was my favorite part as a kid growing up, the sword of the spirit. Because who doesn't love a sword, right? I know you guys are all, like, jealous that I get to use this right now. <laughs> and even as I'm holding this, I wish I would have had something like this when I was a kid because when I was in middle school, my friend and I, we would be digging in the dumpsters looking for things to use as swords, and we'd find, like, old curtain rods and stuff, and we'd be using those things to, you know, beat the snot out of one another, but this thing would have been a lot better. <laughs> Probably wouldn't have hurt as much. But the sword we're talking about today is, is so much more than just, you know, the, the cool part of this armor of God. So I want to, let's go into Ephesians and read what it is that Paul writes about, about this sword and see where God takes us today. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 says this. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. There's a couple of interesting things here um, about how Paul presents this element of the armor, the sword of the Spirit. First, he, he goes a little deeper into what the sword of the spirit than he does with any of the other pieces of armor. I mean, you can look, it's just, it's just the helmet of salvation, but this sword, it's the sword of the spirit, but it is the word of God. He makes this connection between the two things. And what's also interesting is that 
The word that he uses, the Greek word that's translated as word, there's a lot of words right there, is rema. And rema means utterance or a spoken word. So when Paul is talking about how the sword of the spirit is connected to the word of God, he's talking about the fact that this sword is connected to the very spoken words of God. You know, a friend of mine does a teaching on this very thing um, when he talks about the connection between the sword and the spoken words of God that I wanted to share with you guys today because for me it opened up an amazing door as to understanding this. He says that there are two primary ways for us to, to get the spoken words of God through the Holy Spirit. Now, the first way that we can get that is uh, a word is given to us directly from God. Now, what I mean by that is like if you are in the midst of a battle and you are in, you're in the midst of trying to make a decision, like you're, you're surrounded by a scenario that you just don't know what to do. And it's in that moment that you feel like God is speaking directly to you. Like he is giving you the instructions that you need. The thing that you need to do in that moment. You know, for me, this happened uh, a few years ago when I decided to get back into ministry. When we moved over here to Moscow almost nine years ago, like I came with a lot of church hurt, a lot of church baggage, and there was... I had zero desire to work for a church again. And uh, my best friend and our senior pastor, Josh, was on staff here at the time, and he he would come to me every now and then. He's like, hey, man, you want to join the team? We got a spot for you. And I'd be like, nope. I'd sit in that that, uh, chair out there, and I'd look at guys as they were up here teaching, and I would be like, man, I am so glad I don't have to do that. It was always a quick no. But then, just over four years ago, somebody else on the team came to me and said, hey, Adam, I have an opportunity to lead the life group ministry over at the Pullman Church. Would you come and do that for us? And I hesitated. And I didn't know why I hesitated to say no. So I prayed about it. And I felt like God was telling me, no, this, this is it. It is time. You've been on the sidelines too long. Get back in the game. And I was like, oh, man, I don't like that. I probably misheard that. So I'm going to go talk to my wife. I'm going to go talk to my kids and see, see how they feel about this pers- perspective of me getting back into ministry. And I asked them, I said, we were on a trip up in Canada. I said, what do you guys think about this? What do you think about me getting back into ministry? And they all went like, absolutely. That's what God made you for. Why are you waiting I was like, oh, man. All right. God's word was confirmed. It was time to get back in. And that's just an example of what it has been like in my life to to get a word from God directly about a, a decision, a circumstance in my life. The other way that God's word comes to us through the spirit is it is recalled. So what I mean by that is The very words of God that you have read, that you have taken the time to memorize and to put, let, let them go into your heart. These very words, when you're in the midst of a battle, the Holy Spirit brings them back to you 
so that you can speak them into that situation. And we take these words and the, these words have, that are from the God's, God's word is what forms this sword for us. So we have something to fight back with. And I want to take you guys to a place in the text that illustrates how this works perfectly. I'm going to take us over to Matthew chapter 4. Now, you can start making your way over to Matthew 4, but before we get over there, before we dive into it, let me just set the stage for you as to what's been going on up until this point. Right before chapter 4, we, we read about how Jesus is getting baptized by his cousin John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And as he is coming up out of the water from being baptized, the heavens open up and the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove, or like a dove. And then the voice of God come, booms from the heavens and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And after this, Jesus is led by the Spirit out into the wilderness, into the desert, which is where we pick up the story in chapter 4. And he's been in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 days fasting. And as you can imagine, after hanging out in the deserts for 40 days with no food, you'd be a little hungry. And Jesus is hungry. And it is in this moment, in this moment when he is physically weak from lack of hunger, being in the desert, potentially maybe even like at a vulnerable place in his mental and emotional state because of being out there for a while. It is in this moment that the devil shows up and begins to tempt him. And he says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are the son of God, our enemy is very clever, isn't he? See how he takes the thing that could be a vulnerability for Jesus, the fact that he is hungry, and twists that and tries to make him question what his identity is. Are you sure you're the son of God? If you are, prove it. Do this simple thing of turning these stones into bread. It'll do two things. It'll make you a meal and also prove to me and to you that you are the son of God. But what does Jesus do? He responds this way in verse 4. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is written. Where is it written? What is he referring to? What, what is he recalling at this moment? It's scripture. In fact, it's Deuteronomy chapter 8. Jesus saying, no, no, you can't get me with that. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I know what word has proceeded from the mouth of God. I heard it, and so did a bunch of witnesses that day. I'm confident in who I am. I don't have to prove anything to you. I don't have to prove anything to myself. The word has been given to me. I am the son of God. From here, the devil takes him to Jerusalem, up to a high place on the temple. 
And he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. This is one of the most frightening verses for me in the Bible. Because our enemy knows the text and he knows it well. But what does he like to do with it? He likes to twist it and take it out of context. He's been doing it from the very beginning, taking God's word. He did it in in the Garden of Eden, taking God's word and twisting it, trying to confuse us to make a decision that would lead us off the path that God had set before us. But Jesus wasn't taking the bait, was he? Instead, again, he shows off how to defend himself, how to attack back in this moment. And again, repeats or recalls scripture. In verse 7, he says, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is from Deuteronomy 6. He will not take a path that is not the one that God has set before him. He will stay and worship God. And then the devil take, tries to do it one more time. And he takes him to the highest mountain in the area. And he shows him all of the kingdoms of the world. All of the people that Jesus had, been, had come for. Here they are. These are all yours. You don't have to go through everything that you think you have to. You could have it all right now. But all you have to do is bow down and worship me. Jesus wasn't having it. In verse 10, he says, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Deuteronomy 6 for the win again. But you know, this is not the only time that Jesus used the text in his life. It shows up all over the place. Every time he had a confrontation with the Pharisees and Sadducees, the the religious leaders in Israel at this time, he used the text in his response to them to confirm what he was teaching, to confirm the things that he was doing, to confirm to them who he is. Through the Holy Spirit, he recalled the very word of God all the way to the point of his death. As he is on the cross, he is quoting scripture. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A statement that we sometimes think is Jesus thinking he's abandoned, but actually those are the first words of Psalm 22. And as you read through all of Psalm 22, you will see that there is a message in there about how God has not forsaken. God has not turned his face. And I think Jesus was reminding himself of that in that moment. In every aspect of Jesus' life, every time he saw adversity, every time he was attacked, every time there was a, he was vulnerable to anything, he spoke God's word. The Holy Spirit helped him recall God's word. 
And Jesus knew this simple truth. You cannot speak what you do not know. You cannot speak the words of God if you do not know what they are. This is a great cue for me to say everything, the same phrase every pastor ever has ever said, read your Bible. Like, right? And that's true. But I think that there is so much more here than just reading the words. It's deeper than that. And I want to show you guys, I want to take you to one of my favorite psalms. It's psalm number one. Because I think in this psalm, we are given a picture of, to, of what it should look for, like for us as we dig into the text. That it should be more than just a cursory reading every morning. I think it gives us a picture of what that should look like. And I think it gives us the picture of what it was like for Jesus as he engaged with God's word as well. So come with me in your Bibles over to Psalm number one, and we're going to read through this. Here's what God's word says. Blessed is the one who walks, who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. As a quick point of clarification, when he's talking about the law here, it's different than the thing that probably initially comes to our mind, you know, the list of rules of things that you can and cannot do. Not many of us find delight in the rules, except for those of us who actually do like following the rules, me. But what he's talking about here is the Torah, the instructions that God had given his people on how to love him and to love one another well. And he's saying, blessed is the one who delights in God's instructions on how to live a full, loving life. It goes on to say this, but, and, <clears throat> and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in the season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. I love the imagery that we are given in this psalm. The comparison of how a person who who delights and meditates on God's word is like a tree. A tree that is growing and producing and prospering and has a continual connection to life-giving water. That is such an amazing picture. Or the fact that the wicked are like the chaff that we see with wheat that it gets blown away. The bad is blown away and the good is left behind. But the image that is my favorite is one that is not readily available or readily recognizable. You have to do some digging and it's well worth it. So I want to dig into this for a little bit real quick with you guys. Now verse two says, talks about, uh, gives us two specific words, right? 
about what a person should do with the word of God. We are to delight in it, to find pleasure in the word of God. And we are to meditate on it. And it's that word meditate that I want us to dig a little deeper on. You see, the Hebrew word that is here for meditate is the word hagah. And some of you know this word and are familiar with it. And hagah shows up in the text. You know, it is uh, translated as meditate sometimes and as it is here. But it also is translated in some, uh, some places as growl or groan or roar. You see, when it's translated that way, Haggah is being used to describe what you will see and hear when a lion is over top of its kill, ripping into its meat. You guys ever seen a video of that? As a lion or a predator is, is, growl, is ripping into its meat, it just has this deep, joyous growl happening. It's just like, oh, this is so good. Mm. It's the same growl I made this last week when I was biting into a burger at Tapped. I'm just like, oh, this is so good. Every bite is delicious. And I just can't get enough and I want more and more. And when I'm done, I'm like, dang it. That is what the picture is here. This is the image I think explains how Jesus approached the text, how he approached learning what God's word was. He devoured it every day. He couldn't get enough of it. He wanted more and more. And it wasn't just about reading the words. It was about knowing the words, experiencing the words of God. And because of that, because he knew and experienced and just devoured God's word, he was able to, in the midst of that attack, be able to effortlessly use those words in his defense, to fight back against Satan. And you know, if this is how, if this is how the person who we are choosing to follow, the person that we are trying to be more like, decides to engage with God's word, why would we do anything different? Why would we do it differently? You know, I don't think that we want to, I don't think any of us want to do it differently like that. I think we, we would all desire to Hagah God's text like that. But I think a lot of us struggle to do so. Now, why is that? What holds you back? What holds you back from diving in and tearing up God's word? You know, for me, one of the things that I know has held me back is, uh, I don't know that I have the time. You guys ever feel like that? Like, no matter what, like, my life is so busy, I can get up an hour earlier than I need to, but then I just, you know, for whatever reason, I just don't have the time to dig in the text. Which is ironic, because I have no problem finding the time to spend hours on my phone or watching TV during a week. But for the text, I don't have time for that. 
You know, also, like, one of my struggles is uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And I like to do things at a high level. And so if it doesn't come right away, then I get frustrated. And so when I look at people who know the text really well, friends and mentors that just, they know everything, right? They're, they dig in, they know the cultural and, and historical context of a text, and they know the Greek and Hebrew meanings, and they can tie all the things together. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I, how, I can't do that. So I, I just like, oh, why even try? Well, maybe some of you just aren't sure where to start, or you're afraid that you're going to be reading it incorrectly and interpret it wrong. Maybe some of you are like, Matt, I just have a terrible memory, so there's no way I can memorize the text. We all have the excuses that we like to go to to justify why we do not Hagah the text. But in the end, those are all they are, excuses. They're just holding us back, prohibiting us from being able to take up the sword of the Spirit and striking back at our enemy when he comes at us. But it doesn't have to stay that way, guys. It doesn't have to be that way. You can wield this sword with as much grace and mastery as Jesus did. It's just going to take time. It's going to take practice. It's going to take you stepping out one step at a time. And you will get to the point where you can wield it like our master Jesus. And it is, I know, a little daunting sometimes to think about what is that first step? How do I do this? How can I jump into this and learn how to use this sword like it's meant to be? Well, that is what I want to leave you guys with today. If you don't hear anything that I've said up to this point, that's okay. Listen to what I'm telling you right now. This is what I want you guys to walk away with. It is this challenge. When you guys leave here today, and maybe even as you are worshiping here as we close the service in a little bit, I want you to start making a mental list that you're going to write down later of three things that the devil likes to attack in your life. What are the three weakest points in your life that he likes to come at? Is it sexual integrity? Is it dishonesty? Is it unforgiveness? Is it laziness? Self-loathing? What, what is that thing for you? And after you've made this list of three things, I want you to now Hagah the text and find a verse or two for each one of those things so that you can fight back when the enemy comes at you with those. Yes. I've been doing this myself this last week too. And for me, like I think back, I didn't, like I told you guys earlier, I did not want to get back in ministry. Lots of reasons why. But this is what he attacks for me all the time in the last four years. He'll come to me and be like, you're not good enough. 
You're not worthy to do this. Like, look at your past. Look at the things that you've done. Like, you cannot overcome those things. You cannot lead people in a church. And for the last four years, that, that is the thing that will damage me the most. It cripples me. I just fall into a puddle of shame and guilt and depression. If I don't take up the sword, but if I have the sword, if I listen to the spirit, I can say, no, it is written. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit, which gives life, has freed you from the law of sin and death. That's Romans 8, 1 and 2. And when he wants to come at me one more, keep coming at me, then I'll try a new move. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It is written. The old has passed. Behold the new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. That is how the sword of the spirit is supposed to be used. In the midst of our battles to fight back. But we can't if you don't have one. But it's right here. It's very easy. You just have to do the work. But you don't have to do it alone, guys. Not all of us are scholars. But you have a community of people around you, a family. You have a life group. You have people who are sitting here with you right now that will help you if you don't know where to start. They will help you and and give you ideas of where to start digging into the text so that God can start to reveal you which one is for you, which word of God is going to be your best defense, your best counterattack when Satan comes at you. Because we are in a battle. He's going to come at you, and you guys know he does. But I just encourage you guys, as you walk out here today, don't be a passive participant in this battle. Do the work. Haggah the text so you have something to fight back with. Now's our time we're going to celebrate together and remember our Lord and Savior's work on the cross and take communion. I just, I think about, there's lots of things I think about when we, t- when we do this every week, but I just think about the, the spiritual battle that I know Jesus was in and what he was about to go into when he, was going, when he went into the garden, like to continue to be pressed and tempted by the devil to, to give up, to run away from what God had called him to do. And he, stand, he stood firm. He stood firm because he had the full armor of God. He knew what God was calling him to do. And he embraced it and he moved forward. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember together. And then after the meal, he took the cup.
So this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us remember together his sacrifice. Lord, I thank you for the last six weeks that we've had to, to dive into your text, Lord, to Hagah this text about the, the armor that you have given us. Lord, thank you for helping us to have a broader understanding of what it is that you've given us to stand firm against our enemy, to stand firm with one another. Lord, I thank you for your, your word, the very words that you have spoken, Lord, that you have given to us to fight back when Satan comes at us. Lord God, help us. Help us to remove the excuses that we have in our lives to, that we can't get into the text, that we don't understand it, we don't know where to start. We won't do it right. Like, whatever it is, Lord, help us to tear those lies down and to, to devour your word and find delight and pleasure in every moment. So, Lord, that we will be ready when the time comes for your spirit to remind us of those words and we can fight back. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.